Hello, it's your humble podcast owner, Mike here. I want to thank you and uh, all the listeners over the last almost four years because we hit a little bit of a milestone this weekend. We hit 80,000 downloads. That's amazing to me. 80,000 downloads, basically 200 downloads per episode. Thank you so much for your continued support, your patronage, and we're going to give you more content for the foreseeable future. We're on our way to 100,000 now. Well, we're only 20,000 away. We'll get to that in the next year or so. But again, just in the immortal words of Gene Snyder, thank you for 80,000 downloads. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 407, submission number 313. Mrs. Columbo, also known as Kate Columbo, also known as Kate the Detective, and also known as Kate Loves a Mystery. Mrs. Columbo, or Kate Columbo, or Kate the Detective, or Kate Loves a Mystery, ran on NBC from February 26, 1979 to March 19th of 1980, over two seasons for 13 episodes. And you know what, guys? Mrs. Columbo, also known as Kate Columbo, also known as Kate the Detective, also known as Kate Loves a Mystery, those 13 episodes it ran for, Three less than Uncle Crack's Block, Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, J.J. Starbuck, number of varied episodes of Salvage One, and number of episodes of Schooled, and probably another five or ten series, but I don't have the time to go through it. most popular shows in the 1970s at least from a crime drama perspective i think we'd have to agree was columbo where you had peter falk we all know who peter falk is and his questioning and then oh just one more thing and columbo originally ran from 1968 to 1978 so it had a nice 10-year run and if you don't know columbo appeared on abc sporadically from the late 80s until past 2000, I believe 2003. So it had a life of literally 
45 years, albeit you had uh, 11 gap years there, if you will. And somebody at NBC, boy, I wonder who. <laughs> I'm going to say this as the church lady. Fred Silverman had the great idea of bringing back Columbo. In a sense, the series didn't have Columbo per se, but we're going to look at his wife. This wife that, yes, she had a role in the Columbo series, but there's some issues here. Uh, specifically, we said that uh, the original version started in 1968. This is 1979. Kate Mulgrew, who plays the title character, Mrs. Columbo, in this series, she was 24 when she started in this. So if we take that back 11 years, I'm not going to do the math. You can figure out how old Kate Mulgrew would have been in 1968. And oddly enough, that's the perfect age if you want to be a girlfriend of Wanda Franco. Oh, Jesus. Well, I was going to mention the fact that uh, Columbo brought up a wife in his rotation on the NBC mystery movie and the ABC mystery movie. But yeah, let's talk about that instead. I don't know what else needs to be said besides that's creepy. If Kate Columbo had been part of Columbo canon for 11 years, no, I'm not touching that with a forklift. Because again, hypothetically, Mrs. Columbo would have been 13 and Peter Falk, his Columbo character, would have been probably about 30 years older than her. That's creepy. Yeah, what else do we need to say about that besides you? Well, I'm... well, what? From what I've gathered during the research, it gets a little bit hankier. How does it get worse? What? In this series, Kate Mulgrew has a daughter. Oh, no! Wait, I'm not finished yet. Oh, it just is getting worse. No. She's eight years old. Okay, hold on. They're doing math. Ew! That's too old to be a Wander Franco girlfriend. 16. So to say the least, there may be a continuity issue or two or even a moral issue or two here. Yeah! I'm going to need to shower uh, with bleach after we're done with this, I think. Well, maybe not. We'll see. But yeah, that sort of is a little creepy to start off with. Your title character is 24 years old and apparently has been part of the series for essentially a decade or more. The math doesn't work. The logistics doesn't work. The ick factor does work, though. Uh, seriously. Maybe it's a Charles Foster Kane, Orson Welles situation. I don't know. Where he was like much younger than he actually was in age. Maybe, but I mean, we've talked about this in the past where people are playing fathers or mothers to other characters. And in reality, they're either a couple of years younger than their child or even younger than their child in some cases. This, though, if you think about it, when we talk about it in the past, we're talking about, like, 
50-year-old actors or actresses playing father to 45-year-old people. We're not involving people who are 24 and whose character, again, hypothetically, would have been 13 when the series started. There's a creep factor there. I, I, I get the the attempted justification, but still. Ew. Let's get away from that for a bit. Please, let's get away from that. Yes. All right. So the show itself was created by Richard Allen Simmons, who actually won an Emmy for Peter Falk in his writing of Columbo. So he knows what he's doing. Okay, I'll give him that. But also, um, and this may not be the best endorsement or lack of endorsement, Peter Falk himself never endorsed the show and actually doing a little bit of reading myself. There was a line uh, in one of the Columbo movies back in the late 80s where Columbo says, a woman's been going around pretending to be my wife, but it isn't her. Little inside jab there saying, yeah, I had a wife, but it's not necessarily part of Columbo canon. I think it'd be great if I could find that, especially since Columbo airs. Oh, gosh, where doesn't Columbo air nowadays? It's on Cozy TV. I think I've seen it on. I don't remember where it is. It's not Lifetime movies or, or something like that, but. I know there's some other mainstream cable channel that Columbo shows up pretty often, maybe like Ovation or something. Didn't but it I... used to air on Clue? You're asking a person who never had Clue. I don't even know if Clue even exists anymore. No, Clue is gone. Actually, I do remember getting Clue very briefly, but Clue, I believe, folded. Oh my gosh, it has to be like 10 years ago at this point because i think it lasted a little bit less time than uh chiller uh and actually taking a look uh, on wikipedia really fast clue it says closed on february 1st 2017 interestingly enough who owned clue the same company that owns cozy tv nbc universal slash comcast so there's that uh, corporate synergy of hey we own this. Let's just move it from this channel to this channel. But no, I've never been the person to watch sleuth movies and and Chiller. The only reason I would have watched it if I ever saw it was uh, because of the 1980s version of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Believe it or not. I just love when Greg does that. that, that that's sort of like our little trigger. Anytime we talk about Ripley's Believe It or Not, he gets to do his Jack Palance. I love it. Brings joy to my face. As we could probably assume, we've talked about primarily the age difference between the Columbo character and Mrs. Columbo. As you may guess, Kate Columbo, well, we already said it talking about uh, the alternate titles to the show. She's a detective. The third name we mentioned was Kate the Detective. So you know what you're coming into here. You're coming into something, using a Chico line here, similar but legally distinct, not necessarily part of canon, for Columbo. So it's just mysteries. Solving crimes while raising her daughter that we talked about earlier, 
which again that brings in the creep factor because <laughs> yeah uh, she had an eight-year-old daughter at this point while holding down a job as a writer for a penny saver well if you think about it that's a good role model because remember back in the 70s that's when the housewife essentially i don't want to say went to work but i'm going to say went to work the housewife was a figment of everybody's imagination in the 80s or at least in the later 80s and i know that's the way my mother was she raised me and my sister until like 83 84 then got a job and didn't raise us any longer even though I would have been like eight or nine at the time, and my sister would have been like three or four. Hooray for rampant inflation, having to have a two-income household. Well, I'm not kidding there. That's that's true. I didn't say you were kidding. I mean, no, I no, went... that, that, that was more rhetorical for the audience. Okay, because oh. my mom was the same way. She raised uh, my brother and me until we were nine, and then she got a job to pay her way through uh, nursing school. We've gone over the background to this show, but now let's take a look at the key cast members in the show. And first and foremost, playing Kate Colombo, who later went by the name Kate Callahan when she was Kate Loves a Mystery. You know, once they got rid of the Mrs. Colombo tagline, she either remarried or used her maiden name. Legend of the small screen, one of Greg and Chico's favorite captains of the Enterprise. Not the Enterprise. God, he was the okay. Captain of Voyager, dude. Voyager. What? No, let's keep that in. Fuck all of you. <laughs> so, as Greg informed me, the sole person who doesn't like Star Trek on this show, she was the captain of the Voyager. Which is why it's called Voyager. I don't know Star Trek. I'm sorry. Every May 4th, I celebrate Star Trek Day. So maybe, sue me. Maybe you thought it was about the Voyager probe. Which, sorry, Mike, that's in Star Trek The Motion Picture. They encounter a Voyager probe. Oh, I'm sorry. I spoiled a 44-year-old movie. Should we just say something about John Shuck so we could play that clip? Uh, let's just play it anyway. Well, why not? Starfleet regulations, that's outrageous! So anyhow, playing Kate Colombo in this series is Captain Janeway herself, Kate Mulgrew. Again, 24-year-old Kate Mulgrew. Uh, actually, even younger than that. She was born April 29th of 55, so she would have been 23 when this started. Or at the very least, when she was taping the episode. Well, again, we said earlier that it premiered in February of 79, so she definitely would have been 23 at some point. But also, where else do we know Kate Mulgrew from? Orange is the New Black, playing Red Reznikov for 91 episodes. She was on Ryan's Hope for a long time, 75 through 89 for a total of 421 episodes. But also, as I told Greg and Chico, for a lengthy amount of time, she was married to Tim Hagen. Who's Tim Hagen? He was a politician in Cleveland. And they met, I, I want to say it was like a fundraiser for uh, one of his re-election campaigns. 
And they actually got married in 1999 and they uh, divorced 15 years later. But I think she used to live here. So obviously when she was doing Voyager, she'd commute from Cleveland to L.A. Because I don't think he was living there because he was he wasn't a county commissioner per se, but he was a higher up with the county. Actually, I think it was county commissioner because Cleveland politics is so screwy. The last like 15, 10 years, they've gone to like a, I don't want to say a city council type of setup, but essentially it's like a city council type of setup where you have like one leader, but then you have like nine or 10 representatives representing the county. And I do think Tim Hagen was the county commissioner, at least in the 90s and 2000s. I don't think by 2014 he uh, was still in politics. At least not in Cleveland proper. Playing Josh Alden in this show is Henry Jones. Henry Jones looks like he's a Western actor. Just taking a look really quickly at his IMDb. He was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. The original 310 to Yuma in 1957. He was the coroner in Vertigo. Vertigo is a great movie. Vertigo is one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. But also, we did talk about him previously. He played Hughes Whitney Lennox in I Married Dora for all 13 episodes of that series. So you know what? He was in that final episode where the entire cast, or at least the entire family at the airport, broke the fourth wall and said, We're canceled! Bye-bye! Still one of the best endings ever. One of the most meta. I'm sorry. When they break the fourth wall, that is epic. Unheard of. But also, he played a character on the first episode of Salvage One. I think he was actually the explorer who found the uh, the creature, the Sasquatch-ish type creature. Right now, while talking about him, I see him on Salvage One playing that sort of explorer type. So he was on that, but he had a lengthy career. Unfortunately, has not been with us for close to 25 years. Playing Jenny Callahan in this show, and this would be the daughter of Kate Callahan, or Kate Colombo, is Lily Hayden. She was a child actress. She is now a concert violinist. And really, if you take a look at her IMDb, that's the first thing that comes up is composer, music department, soundtrack. So she made a career not in front of the camera, but rather, not necessarily behind the scenes, but doing music for movies and TV. In fact, George Clinton, we all love George Clinton around here, calls Lily Hayden the Jimi Hendrix of the violin. Wow. The King of Funk said that. Well, that's King? high praise. Also, we should add that uh, Lily Hayden was on 40 episodes of eventual cover, The New Gidget. They did 40 episodes of The New Gidget? Why did anyone want 40 episodes of The New Gidget? Wasn't one enough? Well, according to IMDb, they did 44 episodes, so she was on 10 <laughs> out of every 11. <laughs> I'm just the messenger, but I mean, that's cringe right there. I remember the new Gidget. No, no. 
some things shouldn't be revived just because they're cool or because they're nostalgic. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's another episode for another day. Playing Sergeant Mike Varick in this series is Don Stroud. The name sounds familiar. I'm sure we've talked about him. Maybe I'm confusing him with former Miami Dolphins and Cleveland Browns quarterback Don Strock. Wouldn't that be great if Don Stroud played quarterback for the Browns? They'd suck even more. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. He, too, was on the new kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> he played the great kahuna. I don't know what that is, either. Well, we'll find out one day, but I did find a much better credit for him. He was in 46 episodes of the new Mike Hammer as Captain Pat Chambers. So he got to work with Stacy Keach. Oh my gosh. We've had two references to the new Gidget in like the last three minutes. No. We need to stop that right now. Did we ever mention the new Gidget prior to this episode? We just did a few weeks ago because I think you reacted like, oh my gosh, you know, this was a thing and it's like, yeah, this is definitely a thing because whoever played Moondoggy, I don't remember who that was and I'm not going to look for it, but just in the last month or two, whoever played Moondoggy on the new Gidget appeared on something and you made reference to it. It was Dean Butler who played Moondoggy. So the butler did it. But um, tish. Anyway, to answer your question, Mike, we did talk about Don Stroud before. In fact, we talked about him twice before. He was in an episode of Super Train. How did and... he blow... Wait, 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 wait. How did Greg blow that? He's the man that knows everything Super Train. I'm amazed. And he was in an episode of The Powers of Matthew Starr. Mm, I was probably medicated at that point. Have I ever mentioned that I own two Don Russ Americana cards of Louis Gossett Jr.? I've got one myself, I think. I think I've got a patch card of his or a swatch card. Technically, I own one from Americana and I own one from Don Russ Celebrity Cuts, so... Oh, you did a Celebrity Cuts purchase. That's big money. I think it was like real cheap. I think I mentioned on this show, I think I got it for like under five bucks. Not bad. But yeah, enough about talking about New Gidget, enough talking about Moondoggy, whatever. Let's get into the episodes proper. Those are the four primary characters in this series. So we have 13 episodes to go through. And we'll start with season one, first episode, which is called Word Games. Wait, they had Wordle back in 1979? I tried. Kate Colombo, the elusive wife of the famous L.A. homicide detective, mother of their loving little daughter, hardworking reporter, and master snooping in her own right, overhears the neighbor plotting the death of his wife. The game's afoot. Well, no, a foot is a foot. A game is not a foot. Never mind. Lots of names in this episode. Are you kidding me? There are a ton of names. Where should we start? Chico, pick a couple names. Okay, I'm going to start with Robert Culp. Straight out of I Spy, before the greatest American hero. Then I'm going to go into Edie Adams, who played Joanne Huston. Or Houston, his wife. Greg, say it. Edie Adams. 
the ninth most effable woman in the world. Yeah, and more names. Then I'm going to go into Monsieur Gerard, played by Rene Aubergenois, pre-Benson, pre-Deep Space Nine. Time out, guys. I'm watching Cozy TV and Frasier's on. You know who guest stars in this episode of Frasier that I'm watching right now as we speak? It could be Rene Aubergenois. Yes, it is. But also, let's remember, in one of his later roles, I don't think it's his last role, he played Dee's acting teacher on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's right. And also, let's remember, Dee can't act. Oh, no, she's a no. crappy-ass actor. But to tie it in with the theme of this episode, Odo from Deep Space Nine. Great point. And hey, how about some more names? Oh my gosh, they just are like pooping out names in this episode. Playing Dr. Prinz in this episode is Barney Martin. Jerry's dad on Seinfeld. Nothing for Jerry's dad or Seinfeld? Well, is that a regular role or was yeah, he? Yeah, he appeared okay. on 20 episodes. He was a, a semi-regular on Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. He was a one and done. He was on a lot of episodes of Seinfeld. So, yeah, that's the stars. Well, some of them before they were stars on episode one. So looks like NBC is sort of going whole hog on this. If you're getting Edie Adams and you're getting Robert Culp. Well, one thing you have to remember is that this aired as a two-hour movie for the premiere. And did we not even mention Frederick Forrest in this movie? Well, I think we just did. Talking about Apocalypse Now, Jay Shep Hicks. Just passed away in the last uh, two and a half months. Oh. June 23rd to 2023 at the age of 86. Captain Richard Jenko on 21 Jump Street. We're going to move on to episode two. Episode two is titled Murder is a Parlor Game. Is everything a game here? We had word games and now a parlor game. Murder is a parlor game. I'm sorry. I'm waiting for NBC at this point to create a game show version and pair it up with Mind Readers in 1979. Oh, they did do Who Done It. There you go. There's your game show from 1979 that NBC did based around crime. They did Who Done It. But let's be honest, Mike. John Pertley did it a lot better than Ed McMahon. From what I've heard, yes. But obviously, there's very little footage of Who Done It here. But I believe there's a little bit more of the UK, and also it had a lot longer run in the UK. So I'm not going to disagree with you there. A retired Scotland Yard homicide inspector and author of a bestseller on perfect murders is forced to kill in self-defense. I do have a bit of a deeper capsule here for this episode. Uh, A legendary Scotland Yard detective is certain he's committed a second perfect crime when he convinces everybody the death of a cabaret waiter was really a suicide. Except Mrs. Columbo. And again, names galore on this. Or at least two names. Playing Ian A. Morley on this episode is Donald Pleasance. From the Halloween movies. Among other things. And he played Blofeld in You Only Live Twice. So we have a a Bond villain in this. Super. And then, oh gosh, heaven help me here. 
You know why I'm saying that? I hear Chico laughing in the background. Playing Sergeant Boone in this episode. I'm going to say it the way I want to say it because darn it, we got to keep these jokes fresh. Young Dolph Sweet. <laughs> well, again, we talked about this. He was uh, Chief Carl Kaniski on Give Me a Break. But also, uh, when we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, he played another, not captain, but a, a police type on whatever show that we talked about. And now we're talking about him again playing a sergeant. So I don't want to play the typecasting card, but apparently people love casting Dolph Sweet as police officers and the like. Young Dolph Sweet. Why? I feel bad just acknowledging that. We blame the Tui family for this. We blame not just the Tui family. We blame Don Russ Panini for putting them on that John Morant card. Let's place the blame where it should really go. So there's people who lost the NFLPA license because they suck. I'm sad because now I'm not going to get those Don Russ Holiday sweaters cards anymore. Oh, I don't want to say never say never, but maybe you're not going to get new sweater cards, but there's obviously existing sweater cards you can get on eBay for a price. And, you know, will they hold value? Probably not. I mean, they're very niche but yeah, if you're really expecting a Bryce Young sweater card this year, if you're expecting any Bryce Young cards this year, I'm sorry to tell you, you're sadly mistaken because, yeah, they're out there. I mean, there's already been a couple of series released, but, uh, you know, once they lost the license and they basically said, you can't sell any more new cards, but we've got these cards in production. We've already made deals uh, selling cases around the country and whatever type of deals they have with Walmart and Target and whatnot. So you may not see many football cards in 2023. They're out there. I've opened a little bit, but uh, you're not going to see like what they've done in previous years where they release 25 or 30 or 35 different series. It may be just like the three or four that are out there now. Recurring Seinfeld character coming. Playing the role of Carmichael, Ian Abercrombie who played Justin Pitt on seven episodes of Seinfeld, but probably better known, at least to you and me, Greg, as the voice of Chancellor Palpatine slash Darth Sidious on Star Wars The Clone Wars. Fantastic. But wasn't an episode of Voyager with Kate Mulgrew, so there's a thing. Moving on to episode three. Episode three's title is A Riddle for Puppets. Oh, great. Now we're playing Jackpot. A riddle for puppets. Let's just get all the friggin' game show references in this episode. We already had the, the word games, and uh, the last episode we had uh, parlor games. Now we're playing Jackpot. What is going on? A ventriloquist finds his dummy is acting independently of his will and kills the man who carved it. It's up to Kate Colombo to solve the murder. What the heck? The ventriloquist dummy comes to life and kills. We went from jackpot to child's play all of a sudden. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, just taking a look at my alternate uh, capsule here. Kate Colombo plays a deadly game of cat and mouse with a psychotic ventriloquist 
who isn't even aware that he caused the death of the craftsman who made his dummy. You big dummy. I just had to say that. I had to do my red fox there. And playing the ventriloquist. If this is not perfect casting, I don't know what perfect casting is. Chico, I want you to say it because this is absolutely beautiful. Jay Johnson! How did he get away from Soap and ABC at this time to do this? A lot of money, probably. Well, also, I think they weren't as uh, possessive over their stars because obviously, hey, let's do more game show references. All the stars from non-ABC shows that were on Family Feud or non-CBS shows that were on Few or whatnot. But yeah, they got a real pro there, Jay Johnson. Please do not tell me that Bob was the dummy that was uh, murdering. No, Bob. You're better than that. (laughs) Bob, how could you? Oh, Oh, God. We do have one other pretty big name in this episode playing Victor March is Al Ruscio. And I know we've talked about him in the past. Brotherly Love, one episode. Well, but also, I remember when we talked about Brotherly Love, we brought up another role that he had, which uh, is he was Mr. Carlman in the epic 1995 theatrical release, Showgirls. Hey, did I ever tell you guys that when I did the hardball hot seat, I sat next to Joe Estrahas and I commented to him about how much I love Showgirls? You mention that all the time, Mike. Well, that's my go-to, okay? Did you guys ever sit next to Joe Estrahas? Did you ever talk to him about Showgirls? No! You would I would No, I don't want to know what you would have done, but oh gosh. Just get it out of your system, Greg. I would have asked him what Kyle McLaughlin's like. Oh. No, <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. I can imagine you, and this is a visual. You go up to Joe Estrahas and say, Elizabeth Berkeley. Huh? Or huh? Elizabeth Berkeley's a fine woman. I would never say a bad thing about her. Elizabeth Berkeley's a trades dancer, good sir. Okay. Gina Gershon. Huh? Or huh? I think that answer is no. No. No, no, no. Okay. I, I'm just curious. How would you grade that? Would you say I, I gave a B performance or a C or or maybe a double D performance? Hey, you know who else was in this episode, Greg? <laughs> you know what else Al Ruscio was in? He was in Previous Entry, Tequila and Benetti. That may be where we talked about him because that wasn't that long ago. And other previous entry, Ferris Bueller! I don't like when my shows yell at me. Sorry. Not your fault. You didn't do that. Hey, you know who else was in this episode? No, who else was in this episode? Michael Durrell. He was in 22 episodes of Matlock as D.A. Lloyd Burgess and 32 episodes of 90210 as Dr. John Martin. The original, the CW, or the reboot on Fox? The original. And another one of our favorites, making a low-key Hall of Fame case, playing Aunt Lucy, Erica Yeun. Dina Zakalakis herself from the famous Teddy Z. Oh, I'm sorry. I was taking a look to see if Michael Drill 
his character appeared on the Matlock episode with uh, Max Mom and uh, Twyla Littleton? And the answer is no. Aww. What did Twyla Littleton have in that episode, Mike? I think you're the professional about that. You should ask, you know, did uh, Gina Gerson have the same or did... Next uh, episode, please! Hey! Are they... Huh? Are they huh? <laughs> this is called theater to the mind, people, okay? Imagine what I'm talking about when I go... Huh, or... Huh, huh. Never thought we'd be talking about breastuses on this episode, did ya? He's saying it, not me. I didn't uh, say uh, it. Uh, he did. No, I'm like this. Right. Episode four. Hey, we don't have a game name here. Caviar with everything. A society caterer, angry that her husband is divorcing her for her business partner, has murder in mind for both. Uh-oh. 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 No, no. That's not Columbo. That's Macmillan and wife. I see what you did there. Darn right I did. I went there. Uh, and again, I, I do have more information about this episode, a, a little bit deeper capsule that may paint a bit of a better picture. When a chic Beverly Hills caterer dies in a bizarre auto accident, Mrs. Columbo uncovers a tangled web of greed, jealousy, and twisted love. We're going to go to episode five. Another kind of sort of uh, game title here, Joy. A puzzle for profits. A husband of a famous psychic is murdered. She's a suspect, but has the perfect witness for her alibi, Mrs. Columbo. Playing Sister Janice, Francine Tacker, known for her roles on The Paper Chase, which, of course, originated on CBS before it moved to Showtime. And then she was in eight episodes of previous entry, Oh Madeline, as Annie McIntyre. That's the end of season one. Season one was just five episodes. So it went on a little hiatus until October of 1979. And that second season consisted of eight episodes. And we'll start with episode one, uh, number six overall, called Ladies of the Afternoon. Oh, no. I'm afraid of looking at this. Kate has divorced her famous husband, changed her last name back to her maiden name, Callahan, and moved to San Francisco with their girl to work for a new paper. Her first investigation involves a suspect who claims he didn't murder his wife. So I reckon this is what we would call in the business a retooling. I think this is more than a retooling. This is like an entire makeover, because at this point, not only... Do you have her moving to San Francisco? Not only do you have her adopting her maiden name, but also this is where the Mrs. Columbo name obviously is dropped. So this is apparently the Kate Loves a Mystery era. At least for this episode, it's called Kate the Detective. Well, who knows? Again, we've got four names floating around and who knows from day to day what it's called. And you're actually absolutely right about that because it looks like Kate Loves a Mystery. It looks like it came into existence or into use like an episode or two later. So you actually have like one or two episodes where this goes by the title of Kate the Detective. 
it looks like this is the only episode that had the name Kate the Detective. Because A, it's the only listing I see, but also B, uh, I'm looking at an article from October 30th of 1979, which has the name Kate Loves a Mystery, formerly Mrs. Columbo and Kate the Detective. So presumably this is the only episode with that title. All right, a couple names of this episode. Playing the role of Phil Stoppard, John Aprea, best known to people of a certain age, that would be the three of us, as Grandpa Nick Katsopoulos from Full House and Fuller House. And I know we've talked about him in the past because uh, that name rings a bell. But I'll look at that. You say the bigger name. Oh, this is a big name. Not big in 1979. Give him about four years. Let me give you the amuse-bouche first, because there is another name here. Playing Janet Rutledge in this episode, D. Wallace. We will be talking about her soon. Okay, now the big name. In the role of uh, Richard Dellinger, who just sounds like a villain if you think about it. Ted Danson. Well, hold on. He was a villain in the first episode of Tucker's Witch earlier this year. And I see where we talked about John Apria in the past. He was on an episode of Three's a Crowd. And an episode of The Powers of Matthew Starr. And an episode of Street Hawk. I don't think he's a high enough caliber person to be in the Hall of Fame, but still, four episodes. All right, I do have a deeper capsule for this episode because it just gave us the background that she split from Colombo. She moved to San Francisco with her kids. She's working for a new paper. But again, we do have a little bit of a deeper capsule here. A much-honored reporter is slain while she is investigating mob involvement with prominent politicians. Kate's life is threatened when she decides to carry on the investigation. So it isn't just her moving. It's a little bit deeper than that. I looked at Datsun 280ZX and Porsche 924. I also looked at this new Mazda RX-7, and that's all it took. Just one look. That's all it took. Yeah, just one look. That's all it took. You get a lot of refined sports car with a Mazda RX-7. You also get great mileage, and you get it all at a price that'll really make you look twice. Yeah, the more you look, hey, the more you like. On Sports World, world champion Linda Fratiani pairs champions Ty Babylonia and Randy Gardner, pro superstar JoJo Starbuck, and a spectacular cast give a dazzling exhibition on Starscape. Then Sports World journeys from the fragile grace of figure skating to the awesome group strength of the World Invitational Weightlifting Championships, plus the pressure-packed semifinals of the Legends of Bowling, all next Saturday on Sports World. Where Rich Man, Poor Man left off. Irwin Shaw's searing beggar man thief. Gene Simmons and Glenn Ford. He knew her secrets, but he loved her anyway. Andrew Stevens and Tova Felcher. She's a terrorist who uses his love as a weapon. Tom Nolan, out to avenge his father's death. The explosive saga of the Jordash family. Beggar Man Thief, a world premiere Monday. 
on Real People, it's the best of the bunnies at the Playmate reunion. Then meet a woman who really gets her point across. And visit an Edsel convention. Then a world premiere, better late than never. They're young at heart. She's the old fogey, starring Harold Gould, Harry Morgan, and an all-star cast. Better late than never, right after Real People, tonight on NBC. Howard Hessman of WKRP in Cincinnati is profiled in the new issue of TV Guide magazine. On sale now. Chuck Scarborough and New Center 4 tonight at 6 and 11. Back to the show. Episode 7, It Goes with the Territory. After her colleague is murdered, Kate decides to continue the investigation of a shady local elite country club she was working on for the paper at the time of the murder. And we have a name here, and this, I think, is... Again, another low-key Hall of Fame case, but this is a person we have mentioned plenty of times. I'm not even going to get into where we've talked about her. But in this episode, playing Eileen Chambers, B.B. Besh. We've talked about her enough. And to tie it back into Star Trek Day, she played Dr. Carol Marcus in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And I do think we've mentioned that in the past when we've talked about B.B. Besh. Do you know who her daughter is? I do not. Samantha Mathis. Okay. Another name in this episode. Playing Senator Bennett, Peter Donnett. We've talked about him in Voyagers, but we all know him as Bill Mulder, Agent Mulder's daddy on the X-Files. It appears this episode, uh, It Goes With the Territory, is the first episode that used the name Kate Loves a Mystery. Because again, I mentioned an article from October 30th of 1979 that says Kate Loves a Mystery, formerly known as Kate Colombo or Mrs. Colombo and Kate the Detective. I have the article here and uh, it, it does say that uh, it made its debut a week ago. Kate Loves a Mystery, formerly known as Kate Colombo, Kate the Detective, and Heaven Only Knows What Else, made its debut a week ago last Thursday and proved to be, as they say in Ireland, a bit too wet to plow. In short, it remained the same piece of gooey going as the original entry, which had a short run the latter part of the 1978-79 season. So now it looks like we're in name three, Kate Loves a Mystery. I hope I don't have to map this out for the home audience. This is kind of weird having four different names for a show that ran 13 weeks. Or 13 episodes, I should say. Not 13 weeks. It actually, again, ran over the course of two seasons. We're going to go to episode eight. Off the record. Kate is working on a murder case investigation with the help of a source she trusts. Well, that's good. You don't want to go to a source you don't trust. The police demands full disclosure from her and arrests her when she refuses to give them the source's name. This is like art imitating life. You don't give up the name of your source, you're held in contempt. You get arrested. Episode 9, The Valley Strangler. Kate is investigating a horrifying series of murders committed by strangulation. Really? That's the capsule. Could you be more generic? Kate is investigating a horrifying series of murders committed by strangulation. And I do see two names in this episode. 
playing Howard in this episode is Louis Arquette. We've talked about him plenty. He's like the patriarch of the Arquette family, minus Charlie Weaver. And also playing Judy in this episode is Leanne Hunley. You know Leanne Hunley, right? Yeah. Okay. He was and on I, Dynasty, if I'm not well, mistaken. I, I was just expecting a reaction there. You guys were awfully quiet there. It's like, we know who Leanne Hunley was. She was a halfway attractive woman back in the day. Probably still is. Looks like she is. Episode 10 is titled, A Chilling Surprise. The owner of a restaurant is found dead, possibly murdered. Then his body disappears. Kate investigates. Again, whoever's writing these capsules is making this like as generic as possible. I do have a more concise capsule for this instead of sounding like a third grader wrote it. The co-owner of a restaurant mysteriously disappears moments after being fatally stricken, and Kate's investigation makes her suspicious of the man's unfaithful wife and his partner. So it looks like somebody was cooking up some murder of this restaurant owner. Nyuk, nyuk, nyuk. So it looks like there's a name in this episode playing the role of Teddy Faust, Armand DeSante, big character actor from the 90s and 2000s. He played John Gotti in the 1996 made-for movie Gotti, played Cesar Castillo in 1992's The Mambo Kings, played Rico in Judge Dredd from 95, and played Dominic Catano in 2007's American Gangster. Looking at him, I can definitely see John Gotti. He was a better Gotti than John Travolta in that horrible Gotti movie a couple years ago. He was also on 208 episodes of The Doctors, the soap opera back in the mid-70s. Not the doctors, I think the uh, well, I was gonna say not the doctors nowadays. I think that finally got canceled. Did it? I don't see it on the TV schedule here for the new season, huh? I'll look into that, but also I know it's been like hopping all around because it was on in the afternoon, then it was on early morning, then it was on at two in the morning. So maybe Cleveland just didn't pick it up, or maybe after whatever 15 seasons. It may have just gone away. Yeah, I don't see it on my EBC uh, channel guide, so... I can confirm it aired until August 8th, 2022. Wait! I thought they had episodes this season unless they were pulling like a, a Maury or a Jerry Springer and showing old reruns. They're probably showing old reruns because it was cancelled in the spring of 2022. Okay, maybe I'm just like having some sort of Mandela effect type of thing because I thought it was still in production. Okay. Regardless, we'll move on to episode 11, which is entitled Falling Star. It's the election season, and Kate wholeheartedly supports one of the candidates for Congress from her district. However, his shady past comes knocking when his associate is murdered and he's the only suspect. Kate is shocked. Can this be... We do have at least one name in this episode that I recognize. Playing Dorothy Hunt in this episode is Sharon Farrell. Sharon Farrell was on 81 episodes of Young and the Restless from 1991 to 1997. I thought she was on in the 70s, though, about 78. The reason why is Sharon Farrell 
was a celebrity on Match Game in 1978, the week the Star Wheel debuted. She would have been a recurring character on the last few seasons of Hawaii Five O. I thought I remember her being uh, mentioned as on Young and the Restless at the time, but who knows? But also, I add Sharon Farrell because, sadly, she passed away this past May at the age of 82. Aww. Well, to lighten the mood a bit, I do have another name. Playing William Gartner is David Rash, a.k.a. Sledgehammer. That's great. Also played Agent X in Men in Black 3. For the episode Falling Star, I do have a more complete capsule. The formal girlfriend of a young lawyer on the threshold of a brilliant political career is found dead after threatening to expose how they defrauded an insurance company, and Kate is smitten with the budding politician when she investigates the matter. The second-to-last episode is called Feelings Can Be Murder. Kate is investigating a murder of a woman. The victim was a participant in a sensitivity training group, and her psychologist is a suspect. Among the guests in this episode, we see René Aubergenois again, but playing Arthur in this episode, I love this. Dick Godier, Jaime the Robot on Get Smart. We talked about him previously. He played Robin Hood in When Things Were Rotten. Hold on. Do you remember what episode number that was? Am I walking into a trap? It's a trap! Just say the number. No, 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 seriously. Should I be putting Admiral Akbar here because you want me to say 69? Nice! Okay, like I said, if it's a trap, just tell me, okay? Admiral Akbar is probably going to be like popping up three or four times in the last minute because I saw that trap coming from a mile away. Two miles away. (laughs) 69 miles away, Greg. Nice! you nice. got to do dang it you got to do better than that hey it's kind of appropriate that when things were rotten was episode 69 because they got the shaft from abc good night everybody i do have a more complete capsule for this beyond a sensitivity training group that she was in apparently kate finds things moving too fast for her when she joins a sex therapy group in an effort to solve the slaying of one of its members. So maybe it wasn't sensitivity training. It was maybe a sexual group. Was there a box? What is it with the last, like, two minutes? You make me walk into the 69 trap, and then you're asking if there's a box? It's a perfectly cromulent question, Mike. I'm not questioning its cromulency, but did I just invent a word, cromulency? <laughs> I, I know crimulent is a, a word or a term, but I think I just created like the adjectival form of crimulent. It's crimulency. Oh boy. Okay. Maybe we should just move on to the last episode. Love on instant replay. Kate investigates a case of a murdered young woman. The only suspect is an immigrant who used to be part of a radical underground movement. Sounds like an open and shut case, right? Kate doesn't think so. I've got a few names on this episode. Playing the immigrant in question, man by the name of Zadik Maleshko, Zito Kazan, native of Argentina, 
played roles in Robin Hood, Men in Tights, 13 Days, Red Dawn, and Waterworld, and one episode of Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. Hey, you know what 23 times 3 is? 69. Nice. nice. Math works out very nicely sometimes. I knew you'd get a kick out of that. One thing I want to note about Zito Kazan, you said he was born in Argentina? Mm-hmm. He plays a lot of Russian characters, taking a look at his IMDb. Actually, he plays a whole bunch of different nationalities. I'm taking a look at something from 1978 called The Pirate, where he played a Yemeni captain. And then on an episode of The White Shadow, he played a Russian coach. And obviously you said he is of uh, Argentinian descent, or at least was born in Argentina. But uh, he played Crazy Horse on an episode of Helltown. And in 1990, on something called Why Me, he played a Turkish diplomat. Time out. The show Why Me, did that star Nancy Kerrigan? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if it's a show or a movie, but the main point I'm getting at is if you look at his IMDb, he plays people of many different nationalities. Again, just looking through this, on 13 Days, he played a Chilean delegate. On Arrested Development, he was a Mexican warden. On The Last Don, he was a Sicilian driver. He played Nick Stavros on an episode of Silk Stockings. So there's Greek Nick Stavros. He is like multinational. I find that absolutely amazing. Quite versatile. Versatile to say the least. That is amazing. And just about what Why Me is, a jewel thief steals a sacred ruby which sets off a chase by the police, the Turkish government, nutty American terrorists, and the CIA. Sounds like uh uh-oh before uh uh-oh. Did you just... Okay, Susan, get it out of your system. Uh Uh-oh. And then we have, as an investigator, early role for Bo Billingsley, who was in 30 episodes of Just Jordan, 5 episodes of Franklin and Bash as Judge James Douglas, but known mostly as the voice of Jet Black on Cowboy Bebop. The really good animated version, not the mid-Netflix series. You know, I don't think we need to actually ask this regarding why this series didn't work, especially when it goes through four names, four titles in the span of 13 episodes. But what happened? Boy, where could we start about what happened? I mean, obviously, we could look at the ratings. We can look at the schedule. And we're going to do both of those. I have a quote from Peter Falk if you want to hear it. Oh, I'd love to hear a Peter Falk quote, especially since he doesn't really acknowledge this as uh, canon. To put it quite blunt, he says, it was a bad idea. It was disgraceful. Well, now let's remember, we're talking about 1979 and we're talking about NBC. And we've talked about it in the past. NBC is throwing whatever they can at the wall and seeing what sticks. And actually, I should have asked Greg at the start of the show, and I'm not going to ask him to do it now, how many shows we've talked about from 1979 
that aired on NBC because I bet you the number has to be close to a, a dozen now. I could look. Well, you don't have to if you don't want to, but the number's got to be up there. It's got to be at least a dozen. That's why I said it's got to be at least 12. And while Greg looks at that, I do have the schedule. For the premiere, the two-hour movie, it aired from 9 to 11. At that point, on ABC, you had How the West Was Won for the entire two hours. But unfortunately, I don't think you're beating the lineup on CBS for a number of reasons. For three specifically, albeit the first two are better reasons. Nine o'clock, you had MASH. So this was the eighth season of MASH, so it's still going strong at this point. This is when MASH starts getting very, very dark. And then at 9.30, it went up against WKRP in Cincinnati, so that would be the first season of WKRP in Cincinnati. And then at 10 o'clock for the entire hour, it went up against Lou Grant. Sorry, you're not beating MASH. You're not beating WKRP in Cincinnati, and you're not beating Lou Grant. Okay, I did the count. We've done eight shows from NBC in 1979. This is the eighth. Only eight? I'm genuinely surprised we've only done eight. Okay, let me count. Legends of the Superheroes, Brothers and Sisters, Turnabout, Hello Larry! Super Trade, Mind Readers, and Season 1 of The Facts of Life. I do uh, have the schedule for the second episode. It did move to Thursday nights at 10 o'clock after Quincy. So, I mean, it's got a decent time slot. What it follows is a great show. I mean, Quincy at this point, I think, would have been third season, if not third season, second season. So it had a good lead in. But on ABC, it went up against Family which is pretty big back in 1979, but also on CBS. A little bit tougher competition, albeit in its penultimate season. Barnaby Jones. You're not beating Buddy Epson. You're not beating Lee Merriweather. You're not beating that sweet-ass theme song. You're not beating a Quinn Martin production. I do have some weekly ratings Primarily from the second season, looking at the ratings from Thanksgiving week of 1979, so we're talking November 19th through the 25th, out of 59 shows, it came in at 48th. So we're looking at bottom 20% essentially. It did beat some more notable shows, specifically The Ropers, A Man Called Sloan, and then a lot of specials and stuff I've never heard of. They had a Raggedy Ann and Andy special, a two-part special that ranked 52nd and 58th? Huh? But again, it is the holiday season, so I understand why they did that. If we look two weeks earlier, the week of November 4th, out of 66 shows, it ranked 52nd. Another Raggedy Ann special was 54th. What type of specials were they doing with Raggedy Ann back in 1979? And the Ropers came in 57th that week, and Salvage won. This must have been one of those two episodes, because they only aired the 
the two-hour movie, I think, in two separate parts, if not just one part. Salvage one for that week came in 61st. So there you go. That may explain why Salvage one only had the one or two airings for its second season before ABC said, we're not going to have any of this. So I have the ratings for the week between those two weeks. We're talking November 5th and November 11th. Out of 62 shows, this is not good. 56th. And actually, here's Salvage 1 again, so this must be the second part of the two-part uh, season premiere slash season two episodes that aired. Salvage 1 was 59th. And last but not least, the week after Thanksgiving, November 6th to December 2nd, how low can we go? Out of 62 shows, 56th. So again, we are now looking at bottom 10% of the ratings no wonder it didn't survive. And actually, at 58, there was a tie between Shirley, which I noticed had similarly low ratings, and the Ropers, again, similarly low ratings, and Marie, which I believe was the variety show with Marie Osmond back in the day. So it definitely was not good, at least in season two. Maybe they thought, as we mentioned earlier, retooling after season one, maybe we'll get viewers. Obviously, that wasn't the case. But this show did have life after NBC. A little rerun life. Looking at TV listings from 1991, A&E actually aired Mrs. Columbo at 10 in the morning. Listen to this lineup. This is not an A&E lineup from 2023. This is amazing. Because remember, back in the day, A&E was sort of high class, high brow. You had Mrs. Columbo at 10 a.m. You had The Fugitive at 11. You had David Letterman at noon. At one, you had The Avengers. And then actually you had repeats of all the minus Mrs. Columbo from five to eight. The good old days of A&E. Because I remember, and I don't think Greg necessarily would and Chico might not have, I remember the David Letterman reruns on A&E back in the day. You're talking about reruns of late night, right? Yeah, it isn't like what they did like 15, 20 years ago where it was like next day reruns. It was like actually going back in the archive and showing an episode from 82 or 83. Like a best of. Well, speaking of life after reruns, this show did get a proper home media release in France. But if you cannot be bothered to learn French, the episodes are available in their entirety on our good friends at Tubi. Uh, as we all know, Tubi will air any old crap. But also, I do want to add that there's a fan site for Kate Mulgrew, totallykate.com, and they have a lot of material regarding Mrs. Columbo and Kate Loves a Mystery. Screen grabs, photos, episode guides, advertisements, articles, even Kate Mulgrew's press kit biography. And that's for both Mrs. Columbo and for Kate Loves a Mystery. 
So if you go to totallycate.com, do a little bit of digging, you can find out a lot more about this show than what we've covered. Like I said, I'm looking at the Mrs. Columbo part, and there is a variety review. There's an American film article. Again, TV guide advertisements. And then for the Kate Loves a Mystery part, again, more advertisements, uh, another American film article, and uh, another variety review. So it's out there. As much as maybe Peter Falk doesn't acknowledge it, and maybe even to a lesser extent, Kate Mulgrew doesn't. Because again, she's Captain Janeway. We don't need to talk about what she did before hopping on the Voyager. After all... The original creators of Columbo were quite adamant that they disliked the concept from the start. And frankly, word of God states that the Mrs. Columbo that we actually saw in Kate Mulgrew was never the Mrs. Columbo that Peter Falk was married to. Despite a lack of acknowledgement from Peter Falk and the writers of the Columbo franchise... Kate Loves a Mystery, a.k.a. Mrs. Columbo, a.k.a. many other names. It was just a thing on TV. But, hey, since this is the Star Trek Day episode, do you want to play a Star Trek Day-themed eBay Prices Right? Well, I think we need to now that you've mentioned it. So you guys know, back in episode 400, that I'm starting to collect the Star Trek autographed cards of people we talked about on this podcast. We did an eBay Prices Right a couple of weeks ago for the Robert Hooks card you talked about. That's right. So, for the Star Trek A episode, I got this Rittenhouse Star Trek The Next Generation Auto from 2013. Now, remember that, 2013, and it's an autograph of Norman Lloyd. You are most honorable, Norman Lloyd. I was the only bidder on this item. I bidded on this last minute last week, and I got it yesterday. So, Mike, I'll start the bidding with you. What did I pay for this? Gosh, I mean, Norman Lloyd is a legend. And he lived to be hundred and what, hundred six, hundred seven? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he was amazing. Gosh, I hope you got a deal on this. I'm gonna say you paid twelve dollars. Chico, one dollar, Drew. The price I paid for this nine ninety five. You got a deal. Oh my god, you made out like a bandit, my friends. That is great. Now I'm actually going to look for one on eBay. If I can find one for $10, that's a definite purchase for me. And there is also in that same set an autographed card from Ellen Bree. So you have one quarter of the St. Elsewhere panel from the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour featured in this set. Is that really going to be your takeaway? (laughs) One quarter of the Match Game Hollywood Squares panel from uh, St. Elsewhere Week has autographed trading cards in this series yes it's a bit of a weird cut but i'll accept it 
Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But please remember, you can always go to our website over at itwasthethingontv.com where you can listen to the 406 episodes that preceded this one. We've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including live shows, mini-sodes, extended versions of previous episodes. We have it all. And remember, we're on all social media, including Instagram, Mastodon, Threads, at It Was The Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was The Thing On TV podcast. Please remember, if you're not subscribed to us through your favorite podcast service, you can find us everywhere. Uh, you can find us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, any reliable podcast app should have us. And don't forget, we are on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to hit that notification bell to stay informed of all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up next time on the podcast. But before I do that, before we talk about what's coming up next, I can officially say what I teased about two weeks ago. I said sometime in the next presumably month or so, six weeks, there would be some big national thing. And the podcast will be mentioned, and uh, I'm expecting an influx of literally tens of listeners. Well, maybe hundreds or thousands if we're lucky, but back on July 31st, so we're talking five weeks ago from today, I took part in a taping of Person, Place, or Thing, where I was a super fan. And we talked about the podcast, myself and uh, Melissa Peterman. Absolute doll, by the way. Please watch Person, Place, or Thing. Great show. I received word earlier this week about when that episode is going to air, and that episode is slated to air on September 26th. So we're talking three weeks from tomorrow. 26th of September, you'll see me on Person, Place, or Thing, and give a little shout-out to not just the podcast, but also to Greg and to Chico. And it was fun. It, it was interesting watching it, the, the behind the scenes. I can't say what happened at this point. It's good to get a little bit of a word out there for our little podcast. I mean, we're not making any money on this. So look out for that in the next three weeks. But yeah, next time. Oh my gosh. Greg, I know, has stuff to say. We're going to talk about something that just happened last year, but it might have been one of the most atrocious football games in recent NFL history. And we're going to talk about that because, hey, surprise, the NFL season is starting on Thursday. So how appropriate is that? We're going to talk football to start the new NFL season. And we will talk about that atrocity from last year right here at It Was a Thing on TV. As always, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on Thursday with that new episode. Wow! Wednesday on Mrs. Columbo, when Kate joins a sex therapy group to find a killer, things move a bit too fast for her. Hi. Welcome to the Passion Pit. Thank you. This is a good spot right here for you. I'm sure the police will find that the killer is a member of that group. Mr. Kano, is there... Wednesday at 8 on TV 58. Dang.